It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves. This is Georgia Gardner here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do out in your landscape with your flowers, trees, shrubs, weeds. It doesn't matter. I'll have an answer that's based on research and science and experience and give you something you can really use to make your life better. All you got to do is call me 404-872-0750. Well, I got several emails this week that dealt with a particular topic that I thought we ought to talk about this a little bit on Saturday morning, and it is the organic way to control insects. Sometimes insects are a nuisance. Sometimes they're a real danger. Sometimes they are something you want to get rid of so you can have a harvest from your garden. And one of the questions of the week was the the the. Plant, the, the insect we call the box elder bug. Box elder bugs are about, oh, about three-quarters of an inch, maybe three-quarters of an inch long. And they congregate by the thousands. We've had calls on the show about it before. They congregate by the thousands underneath some silver maples, underneath Japanese maples, underneath box elder maple trees. Uh, um, just about any tree that has a lot of seeds, that's where box elder maple, box elder bugs live. And when they get a lot to be a lot of them, when their population explodes, they tend to crawl up the sides of houses. Now, they don't bite. They don't do anything bad to plants. They eat seeds, so no real big loss there. And so box elder bugs, if you can control them without spraying insecticides, that's a, that's a good thing. And so a guy asked me how to do that. And I said one of the easiest ways, other than spraying them down off the side of the house with a garden hose, is to just keep the environment underneath the tree, make, make the ground cover and mulch underneath the tree really short. Don't let them get underneath the lyrio, underneath the English ivy, underneath the plants growing underneath the tree. Try to keep that real short so that predators can eat them because some predators, some other insects and birds eat box elder bugs. And the other thing I said, obviously, remove the seeds. If you have a silver maple or other maple tree, Try your best to remove those seeds in the spring when they're really obvious to be seen on the tree. When they fall down under the tree, rake them up, get them out of there so those box elder bugs don't have anything to eat. That's one couple of ways there to control box elder bugs naturally. Another, another creature that was under my microscope this week was the squash vine borer. And if you've ever grown squash and had the experience of having a beautiful plant. I mean, it is gorgeous-looking squash plant until about the day after you harvest your first one or two or three squash, and all of a sudden, the whole plant just wilts to the ground, right down to the ground, flat, leaves wilted. And you notice at the bottom of the plant, the stem right next to the ground is very rotten-looking, just looks awful. And if you probe in there a little bit, you find this big, white, wiggly grub that has been growing in the squash vine for at least a couple of weeks, if not more. You didn't notice it at first because it didn't show any damage and there's no sign that was in there. But inside the stem, it hollows, it eats out the stem of the squash plant. And eventually, again, when it gets just about the size where you harvest a couple of squash, then 
the plant wilts and the squash vine borer becomes evident. So how can you control that organically? Well, one way, best prevention way that I know of is to cover your squash plants with floating row cover. It's called frost cloth or various names for this woven polyester. So very lightweight. And the, it's so lightweight that water, rainfall, irrigation comes right through it. Sunshine actually comes right through it pretty well. And so you can actually cover your squash plants with this floating row cover. Even cheese cloth would work. But it's something that would keep the moth, that's the adult form of the squash vine borer, keep that away from the squash while it is growing initially. While it's growing initially, you know, a lot of people who grow squash know that the first blooms that come on a squash plant or a watermelon or a cucumber or whatever are the male flowers. And they don't, they don't turn into squash. They don't turn into zucchini. They don't turn into watermelon. And so if you cover the plant and you see flowers, as long as you know they're the male flowers, keep it covered. No reason not to. But as soon as you start seeing a female flower, the ones that have the little watermelon, little squash underneath the petals of the flower, that's when you can take the cover off. And that's when the plant is probably big enough and tough enough to withstand the boring action of the larvae as they try to go into the stem of the plant, the boring action of the larvae of the squash vine borer. So one way to organically control squash vine borers is to cover the plant until it's big enough to start producing female flowers. And at that point, uncover it. At that point, it's resistant. At that point, you won't have nearly the problem that you do if you don't cover them up. Good organic tips there in both cases for squash vine borer as well as box elder bugs. Let's go to the phones. we got our friend Nicole down in Griffin, Georgia. Hey, Nicole, good morning. Mr. Reeves. Mr. Nicole, good morning. How are you doing? Fine, fine. You see, I'm thinking that over the years, all the crazy things that we try, yeah. Mr. Reeves is the champion. And this stuff always works. <laughs> I hope so. Although, you know, my fights with squirrels, I have not yet found a way to keep the squirrels out of my tomatoes, but I'm working on it. I continue to have new ideas of how to do that. I know you do because you ate them so much and you said, they're not going to get me. <laughs> One day, one day, Nicole, I want to be successful. I know. I want to talk about a row of trees yeah. that I go. I've been going there for years, and I went this week, and I park. Usually, I park underneath the tree because it's shady and yes. it's a nice place. You couldn't. I could not believe, Mister Reeve. Those trees are in the prime of their life. They always been green. They lose their leaves, and springtime they come back. Yeah. But this year, could not believe it. The row of three, not one leaf, the trunk oh. is black, something happened. They're all the same. What? I mean, one, you can tell one, you know, if uh, something would happen, one would live, yeah. the other one. But no, there's all of six trees, black, completely black. And I could not believe So I went inside the store and I asked this girl, I said, what happened to the tree? She didn't have a clue. So I went outside and I look around. And I'm thinking that's what's happening. So uh, my theory is there's a gas line underneath the tree. Possibly. That's a good theory. Great going. Okay. So, Mr. V, you think a gas line, if it leaks enough, would kill those trees? Sure. Oh. I've seen it happen. I've seen it. And the symptoms you described, Nicole, are not far off of what I saw. The trees that I saw greened up in the spring, and then gradually turned sort of a yellow-green and then turned brown pretty much by June. 
and the leaking gas line was next to a house, and they had a Japanese maple there. And the leaking gas line, they had noticed the smell but hadn't really thought too much about it because it didn't smell it all the time. But when they finally saw the Japanese maple die and coincidentally decided to get a gas guy out there to fix the line or see if there was a leak, sure enough, there was a leak at the meter right next to the Japanese maple, and it died. Unbelievable. I'm not, I mean, this gas line needs, I mean, it's been leaking for a long time, or it's well, leaking a lot in one time. It's hard to know, and you know, this is still a theory. We don't know that yeah. what your, we don't know that your theory is correct. That's one thing that possibly could be it. I mean, another one could be some idiot came and put some kind of herbicide down on the roots and killed them all because of the herbicide on the roots, or something he didn't mean to put down that was accidentally spread on the roots of some of the trees. Do you know what kind of tree it is, Nicole? I could not tell you. I know it loose a leaf. It's probably it's a uh, tree. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oak or something. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. But they were in their prime of their life because I've, I've been going there for the years, you know. For six trees all in a row, all yep. of a sudden all die at the same time. Like you yep. say, the symptoms of a true disease is that it moves slowly. You have one gets sick, and the next one gets sick, and it sort of moves down the line. And you see the spots on the leaves or cankers on the trunk or something obvious that, that you can lay your hands on. But with this one, with all of them dying at once, gas leak could be a good theory, could be a herbicide damage, could be something else that neither of us have thought about. I mean, something dumb that I doubt this happened at all, but lightning sometimes when it hits the tree will cause it to turn brown almost overnight. Almost overnight, a lightning-struck tree turns brown and loses its leaves. But that's probably not what happened with you. Yeah, because the lightning would come from above, and yeah. sometimes it split the tree. Yeah, exactly, it? exactly. So I think your homework is going to be try to find a leaf, an old brown leaf, maybe from last year, caught in the gutter, or ask around and ask if anyone knows what kind of tree that is. Because until we know what kind of tree it is, I can't really theorize much more. But sometimes knowing the tree, species of tree, you can say, oh, well, they're prone to this problem or that problem. So... I guess you have to go more Sherlock Holmes and find out what tree it is. Well, if it can help the, we just theorize right now. If it can help the gas company to find the leak, that if, that would be a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, if it's a leak, but we yeah, don't know it is. Yeah. If you don't smell gas around there, of course, maybe your theory is not true. You would smell gas, obviously. You smell it when it when it leaks. So if you don't smell anything, it's hard to say, oh, it's a gas leak, if you don't smell. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, well. So, Nicole, between now and next Saturday, we need an answer. What kind of tree is this? And by next Saturday morning, call me up, and we'll talk about it again. Mystery watermelon mm. is in the prime time. Oh, I saw I saw a truck full of watermelons uh, back on Monday this week, and I thought about you. A truck full pickup truck just filled up with watermelons. I thought Nicole, the watermelon queen, saw these watermelons being harvested in South Georgia last week. Sure did. You blew the horn. I did not. No, I didn't. I thought they would think I was rude. No, I didn't do that. I blew the horn, and they waved back at you. Nicole, <laughs> <laughs> it's great, great talking to you. We'll see you soon. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. At 619, we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. 
weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, sunny and some clouds, possibly a stray thunderstorm here and there. High of 89, low of 71. Tomorrow, pretty much the same forecast, partly cloudy, partly sunny. High of 91, though, tomorrow, low of 72. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Gene in Bremen joins us. Hi, Gene. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, when is the best time to fertilize centipede grass? Twice a year. Twice a year. Um, one time when it's about 90% green, which is in early May sometime, I guess. And the next time is now. Next time is sometime in the 1st of July, first couple of weeks, I guess, of July. And two fertilizations is really all it needs. It's a very low low nitrogen grass. It doesn't need a lot of fertilizer to be happy. So, you well, know, what What's sweet. the number of fertilizers? Anything with a low middle number. Centipede doesn't particularly care for um, phosphorus, which is the middle number on a bag, you know. And so anything that has a low number like they used to get, they used to sell 15-0-15 and 13-0-13 all the time. And I haven't seen those numbers on bags commonly around. So I guess if you can't find something with a zero in the middle, just something that has a two, three, four, that would be fine. Okay. Thank you so much. It is a great pleasure. Centipede, you know, Gene was sort of called the poor man's grass. <laughs> the poor man's <laughs> grass because you don't have to fertilize much, you don't have to water much, you don't have to mow it very much because it lays on the ground pretty close. Um, I don't know why more people don't use centipede. It's maybe not as tolerant of weed killers as some grasses are. But a lot of people have grown centipede and probably never known they had it, just, didn't know, just knew they didn't have to mow as much. And so they like to have centipede grass. It's a good grass. Sure is. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate your information. You bet. Thanks for calling, Gene. See you next Thank Saturday. You. 404-872-0750 is the number. By the way, centipede grass is a particular variety of centipede that works really well in Atlanta called Tiff Blair. T-I-F, like Tifton, B-L-A-I-R, like Blairsville. It was actually bred in Tifton by one of our University of Georgia grass breeders. And then he said, we've got to make sure this stuff is cold tolerant. And so he started planting it in Blairsville. And the selection that did the best in Blairsville, he named it Tiff Blair centipede works really well. David and Tucker in a minute we'll talk about honeysuckle varieties. Vicki and Dunwitty has bugs in her plums, and Kevin and Shady Dale has crepe myrtles that didn't bloom this year. 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 635, 71 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I'm here to help you be more successful. You can ask me any question you like. You can argue with me. You can ask me about organic ways of, of gardening and organic pest control. Anything you got, I got an answer, usually. <laughs> First caller in line, my friend David in Tucker, Georgia. Hey, David, good morning. Uh, good morning, Walter. Hey. Um, well, I had a classic gardener's experience. Went over to one of my plots, and you know, this plant was doing okay, and I was doing fair, and I was doing a little better. And 
And then, of course, the thing doing the best was honeysuckle, which I didn't plant. Oh, uh, <laughs> the, the Japanese honeysuckle, the one that's sort of the weedy honeysuckle. That's the one. Is it? Well, I was I had heard it was Chinese, but in any event, it's not native. It's yeah. the you know the yellow and white stuff. And growing up in the South, I mean, fifty-five years worth of memory. I think I've seen some pink honeysuckle, but. 99% of the time, that's what I see, and why am I seeing that rather than the native stuff, and how do I recognize native honeysuckle? The native honeysuckle is, um, I want to say the tube. You know, the honeysuckle flowers are sort of tubular, and the, the Asian honeysuckle that we call the weed honeysuckle. Even so, you can take the flower off, and you've, test, you've tasted it, haven't you, David, where you get a little sugar out of the end of the flower? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so the... Native honeysuckle has a longer tube. It has just about the same taste as anything else, but the color is more of a pinky peach color, and there's some that are even more yellow. There's one called uh, it's pink lemonade, and there's coral, little coral honeysuckle is a common name for the native honeysuckle, and there are, what's the other name? I forgot the other one, but anyway, there are several honeysuckles that are not nearly as weedy as the Lanicera japonica, that is the... Japanese one that is a, a weed gets all, all over everything, even though it smells good and tastes good too. What is the red honeysuckle then? Yeah, I think that's another one of the Carl's. I'm guessing. Hmm. I think okay. there is now there are several members of the honeysuckle family that have berries and are more bushy than they are viney. And one that has red berries is called A M U R Amur honeysuckle. A bush honeysuckle. It has red berries. Birds love it. Sprouts up lots of places you don't want it. It's as, almost as bad as privet when you have some around the landscape and you've got a bunch of amber honeysuckle seedlings. They're just a pain to keep, keep under control. But they have red berries, but not red flowers. Their flowers are white. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I needed to know then. There you go. Then I hope I satisfied your curiosity this morning, David. Good talking I to you. I am I'm satiated, and I got to use the word satiated. <laughs> then I am glad you're satiated. See you soon, David. Bye-bye. 404 the number that Vicki and Dunwoody dialed a few minutes ago, and here she is on the air. Hey, Vicki, good morning. Uh, hi, Walter. Hey, Vicki. Uh, we got a plum tree, and yeah. uh, some bug got to it. It's full of fruit, but yeah. it's all all over. The bugs are all over. Hmm. What do the uh, bugs look like, Vicky? Give me a description. Just the small, tiny ones, like nets, exactly like nets, you know, very little oh. ones. And they fly? They fly, yeah, they fly. When you touch the fruit, they fly, like they fly all around that fruit. Hmm. What is it flies around plums? I don't know. The only thing I want to know is if we need to cut the tree somewhat, and how much we need to cut the tree. Why would you want to cut it? Uh, because because of the bad fruit now, what's the next time going to do? Well, you can control insects sometimes with insecticides, depending on sort of what the insect is. And I'm not sure. I'm trying to think if it's a fruit fly. And that's my guess right the here. Fruit? No, I don't know. I don't know because it gets all black. The fruit gets yeah. all black from that. There are fruit flies that attack the stem end of fruit, raspberries, blackberries, plums, Oh, that's a plum. yeah, yeah. And uh, when they attack the stem in, they introduce fungi, and the fungi then rot right. the fruit, and so you don't so have to What do we to need eat. to do now? I'm thinking we need to make sure of what you have first, but I'm mm -hmm. 
reasonably sure it's fruitful. Let's go ahead and use an insecticide. The easiest one, I think, that's labeled for use on fruit trees and edible things has a weird name. It's called Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. Oh, okay. Weird that's name. Not so weird. That's yeah. not so weird. Well, Jesus. Captain Jack is a the chemical inside is called spinosad, and spinosad is an organic insecticide. And like I say, it's labeled. Read the label, make sure I'm right. But right. the we label need to is. We do it before we cut the fruit off or after? I think you, frankly, you're going to have to start next year when the fruit starts sizing up, when the fruit is about the size of a, I don't know, size of a prunes, about an inch in diameter. That would be about right. That's when you start spraying. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Let me know about it next week, next uh, year. I mean, we'll know whether you've had success or not. Okay, thank you very much. Sure, Bye-bye. Thanks thank for calling. Have a good day. You bet. We come to Robert in Ellenwood. Hey, Robert, good morning. Roberto, good morning. Robert, Robert, Robert. Yes, yes. Hey, hey there he is. Hey, Robert, good morning. Simple question. Yes, in sir. my backyard, plenty of sunshine. Instead of traditional grass, it's um, ground, cl- uh, ground cover. Yeah. I think it's... Putting clovers uh, because I like the aesthetic look of it. Sure, yeah. Well, I want your opinion and how popular or how often do people use clovers as ground covers? What are you going to do in the wintertime when the leaves are pretty much off of it? There's nothing but brown dirt in your yard. Uh, well, at least I don't have to mow it. Uh, <laughs> That's true. You don't have to mow it, Robert. Yeah, uh, that would be right, the problem. Well, all right, now I know the disadvantage. It's, it's certainly an or it's a great ornamental plant during the summertime. The flowers, of course, the white or crimson flowers you have on the clover looks great. There's one particular one I see advertised a lot called micro clover. It has very very small leaves and it stays very close to the ground. And it might do very well when you didn't have very severe winters. And by not severe, I mean anything less than about 28 degrees will freeze the microclover down too. So clover is a great idea for a mixture, maybe with other grasses like fescue, for instance, that would feed the grass because clover, as you know, takes nitrogen out of the air and makes fertilizer out of it. And so a mixture oh. of clover and fescue would be a great mixture, certainly. But trying to okay. use only clover by itself, I think, is not going to be aesthetically what you want. All right. And you educated me. In the winter, they die away and dirt just be there. Not, not, all that, not all that beautiful, Robert. But you don't have to mow it. Keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Take care and thank you. You bet, Robert. Drive safely, my friend. Kaz is in Buford, Georgia, and joins us. Hey, Kaz, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Hey, man, what's up? Hey, Walter, I got a, I got a, some kind of critter is, uh, is, is attacking my uh, fruit trees, uh, any kind of shrubs that can get hold of, uh, roses, fig tree, holly bushes, anything Man. they can. I mean, they're just eating my, my plants alive. I've been fighting it since the uh, beginning of the spring, and I've been using some kind of meal uh, that I put inside the barrel, the holes. And I've, I've basically controlled 80% of it, but the 20% keep coming back. I'm having a hard time getting rid of yeah, it. Yeah, but you haven't told me what you what the symptoms are. What do you think you have, an insect or an animal? or what's, What do you mean? No, no, it's some kind of animal. It's got to be some kind of an in-ground, underground. Uh, someone's telling me it might be a voles, V-O-L-E-S. Could be. That is it's just, they're just killing. I mean, 
my roses are dying because that when I pull them up, all the pretty much eighty percent of the roots are gone. Yeah, that's holes. As soon as you said, pull it up and no roots were there, I thought to myself, oh, yeah, that's what he has, voles. You got voles. Is that a better solution than anything you can help me with? Yeah, the easiest thing for me has been mousetrap. If you set, oh, half a dozen mousetraps and bait them with peanut butter, works great. And rather than catching a few birds, you don't want to hurt birds, of course, uh, cover the mousetrap with a cardboard box and prop it up just a little bit so like use a pine cone just to prop the edge of the box up so the vole can get underneath there and eat the peanut butter and, and be trapped. But that works great. Voles love oh. peanut butter and they get them with a mouse trap and they're dead. Oh, I didn't know they like peanut butter. I put uh, basically I put this plastic buckets I did put the mouse trap, put the plastic buckets over it. Okay. And I have like ten of them around in areas that I've seen there's activities. Yeah. But unfortunately yeah. nothing. <laughs> None mm. of them can None of them, uh, I didn't catch anything. But, Let me give you uh, something, something else again. to attract some calves. It would be hard to make this uh, stick to the trap and to the trigger of the trap, but if you put a half an apple or a quarter of an apple underneath the bucket or underneath the cardboard box, they really, okay. really like apples. They like the smell of apples. And so that'll attract them to the area, and hopefully they'll smell the peanut butter and take a little nibble on that and be a little more effective at controlling them. Or another thing, okay. Kaz, if you want to try something that you could just sort of ball up and put onto the trigger of your traps, use a cinnamon apple oatmeal. You know, just little packets you get in the grocery store, little packets of oatmeal. Mix it with just sure. enough water to make it sticky. Just enough water to make that stuff sticky. Ball it up into a little ball, stick that to the trigger. And then you got the cinnamon, the apple, the oatmeal. That's another really good attraction for voles. Okay. Are they, I mean, am I going to be able to really get Get rid of these things. Someone's telling me it's just almost impossible to get rid of them. No, it's not impossible. I think the key is more traps, and don't just depend on one trap. Depend on six to ten, and that's that's how you get rid of it. If you have a lot of plants that are attractive to them, like like you said, roses, apples, uh, nandina, camellia, all those things. If you've got a lot of plants that they've attacked, then I think you need at least half a dozen traps out there. Okay, I'll try that. One one quick question. I got a couple of fig trees. And this year, I keep losing the fruits. They're dropping on the ground. Is yeah. it because of too much water? Not usually. When you say they drop to the ground, is this the the ones that were there when the spring began, or is the ones that have developed since the spring started? There's two different kinds of fruit. The, uh, since the uh, spring started, they developed, uh-huh. and they basically just fall into the ground. Some of cut one tree, basically none. I mean, they all. They all dropped, I mean, falling down on the ground. Yeah, if, anything, the I, if anything, I would say that it was because you didn't get enough water. But you, generally speaking, it's rained fine in my neighborhood yeah, in Buford, too. I don't know offhand why they would drop. Like I say, drought is the usual cause, but we haven't had drought this year so far anyway. Oh, my, my thought was maybe they're getting too much water, so that's not, no, that's not I don't true. I not think okay. so. And if they're getting too much water, you usually see... Uh, some leaf damage, wilting, and root rot, and things like that, that you would have told me other symptoms, but I don't think it's too much water. I don't think that's the situation at all. Kaz, i got to go. Appreciate the call at 647 and one half. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 430 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves.
quick weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, partly sunny, partly cloudy. One or the other, partly stray, possibly stray, possibly a stray thunderstorm sometime today. High of 89, low of 71. Tomorrow, same pretty much forecast, partly cloudy, partly sunny. High of 91, low of 72. And your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. John, this is my cursor. John and Jefferson join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, John, good morning. Good morning, Walter, and thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Two questions, uh, one about drip irrigation, the other one about dirt daubers. But <laughs> right. uh, I use drip irrigation, and it's been eight to ten days since I've watered my garden. Yeah. And yet yesterday afternoon I took my post hole diggers and went out and, and dug down uh, and a post hole digger, the metal part, I guess, is eight to ten inches in mm-hmm. depth, and uh, the, uh, the the lower part of the post hole digger was still wet. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, dirt just clung to it. Well, that's good. So, how often should I uh, uh, water my garden, and how sh- or should I buy one of those thermometer-like things that's <laughs> supposed to be a moisture meter? I think the easiest moisture meter you have is your eyes and your fingers and your post hole digger. <laughs> yes. So, John, okay. the the depth of moisture for a vegetable garden doesn't need to be any deeper than probably eight inches or so. But beneath that, the roots are really not going for much moisture. They <clears throat> go down deeper than eight inches for anchoring and things like that. They don't get a bunch of moisture to them. So... If you dig holes now, you can cut back on your on your watering. How often do you water? How much do you water? Do you know what you're doing? I usually take a timer with me, and yeah. I'll uh, water them between uh, 30 minutes and an hour. Mm. Uh, and and the uh, individ- drip irrigation pipes do a, a great job. Yeah. Uh, I think the basic thing is you're going to have to monitor a little more closely and not water quite as much as you're doing now, it sounds like. But, you know, again, eight inches depth, that's what you're looking for. So that's how you find out. Use your eyes, your fingers, and your and your tool. Okay. Now, what All about right. the dirt daubers real quickly? Uh, how do I control dirt daubers? What are they doing bad? What, do, what don't you like about a good dirt dauber? They're... Uh, we keep our garage door open for a pet that's in and out, yeah. and uh, they're getting on the walls, on the ceilings. Uh, they even got in the engine of my airplane in the <laughs> hangar. That's not good. Uh, um, knowing and understanding that they are beneficial insects, okay? Dirt daubers take spiders and caterpillars and things like that, and they stuff them into that tube that they make to put it onto your end of ceiling of your shed onto the engine of your plane and everything like that. But nonetheless, they're considered a beneficial insect. So I guess the way to control them where you don't want them is simply just spray with one of the aerosol sprays. If you can't reach it with a hammer to go up there, just mash the tubes if you want to. But spray them with an aerosol spray would be my best control for them. But I don't think you need to control all of them, again, because they're beneficial. I wouldn't, wouldn't try to do all of them. I, that's what I'd heard as well. If I used uh, a fan, uh, would air blowing uh, Ooh, continuously idea. help to push the That is a great away? idea, John. That is a really, really smart thinking. Uh, try it and see, and you better report back to me because I would love to have some other way other than spraying with insecticide or mashing down the tubes 
I'd like to have a good solution like that, put a fan out there underneath the hood of the plane or something that would sort of make their environment not really tenable, not a place they wanted to be. And blowing air across it might be a great way to keep them out. Let me know, John. I would love to know. It's 6.57 and a half at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news. <laughs> 